So you awaken in a musty room. The floor and three walls are solid stone, but the fourth wall is of thick iron bars. I break the fourth wall. I didn't even finish describing the room yet. Do I have any ale on me? If I have ale on me, I'm drinking it. Okay, I got a 19 plus 3. Does a 22 break the fourth wall? I assume I see a 30-something-year-old guy making a podcast. I'm going to roll to see if I'm getting drunk. That's it. Rock falls. Everyone dies. Warning. Incoming game. Warning. Incoming game. Welcome to Incoming Game, the podcast where we watch and rewatch the 90s animated series reboot. I'm Jessica, a nostalgic. And I'm Ben, a skeptic. I have never seen this show until now. And I've been a fan for years. Each week, we'll revisit an episode, dissect it, inject some trivia, and try to find our frostiest moments. This week, we're doing episode 9 Wizards, Warriors, and a word from our sponsors. Before we start, how was your week, Ben? My week was pretty good. Uh, how was Kentucky? Kentucky was an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> I chopped off all my hair, got uh, sidetracked in what might have been the Bates Motel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but more importantly, I got to spend the weekend with my entire D&D group. Well, not the entire one, but the majority of it, which brings us to our episode and our guest, which is Luke Sullivan. Hi, Luke. Hi, Luke. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Uh, Luke and I have been playing D&D together for going on four years now. Oh, wow. It has been almost four years, yeah. Uh, we started with me as a DM and Luke as a... Warlock. Yes. It's a wizard, but different. <laughs> Uh, and then we transitioned, we switched roles. Right now, um, Luke is also GMing our Starfinder game that we're playing. But it's a pretty fun, close-knit group, and I was glad I got to hang out with everyone. Y'all some nerds. We are totally yeah, nerds. Yeah, we are huge nerds. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so thematically, it fits totally within our episode to have cool D&D buddy with us and a giant Reboot fan. Well, welcome. Luke, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your history with Reboot? Thanks. So, uh, yeah, I'm a huge Reboot fan, and... I didn't know that I wasn't the only living reboot fan uh, <laughs> until until I met Jess. And Jess was like, I know that show. And I was like, wow. It was, I want to say it went on syndication on Cartoon Network. And I watched every episode that was available. This was before I had DVR or you could watch things on the internet. So I had to be at home every day at 4.30 to watch an episode of Reboot. And I did that every episode, the entire series, twice in a row. Um, and that was when I realized that I had to take a little bit of a break from Reboot. Um, and so I only watch it now. I rewatch it about every 10 years or so. I, I try to watch it again just, you know, to remember all of the good parts. So you've seen it twice. Yeah, twice. <laughs> all right. Well, why don't we go ahead and get started? Right, so we're on episode nine of season one, Wizards, Warriors, and a word from our sponsors. It's written by Jono Howard, which is the first credit for Jono here, and Lane Reichert. Story was written by Gavin Blair, Phil Mitchell, Ian Pearson, and Lane Reichert. The first air date was on December 24th, 1994. Oh, it's like Christmas. Yeah. And just like Christmas, we open in Bob's apartment and Bob is hiding behind his couch. Yes, nothing says Christmas like a decapitated head of Bob floating behind a couch. <laughs> he's just hiding from his in-laws, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this couch that he's hiding behind... I just want to point it out. One, I didn't know it was a couch at first. <laughs> I was like, I thought it was weird, like wallpaper, and he his head was literally floating. It's like a Jackson Pollock painting. And it's also huge. 
You don't see like arms. It is the biggest piece of furniture in Bob's apartment for sure. <laughs> it goes on the whole screen. That's right. It does go around the whole wall. I totally forgot because that was we just saw that in um, the Tiff episode where he's lying on it as Mike propositions him. If you're going to splurge on one piece of furniture, I mean, it should be the couch. Well, Dot and Enzo are trying to guess what his deal is when suddenly over some spooky slasher music, Mike arrives spouting nonsense. So he presents an ad for Bucket of Nothing, which uh, costs $99.99.99. 99. I started saying it as soon as he started saying it. It like came back to me. It's my favorite line for sure. <laughs> it's your favorite line in four seasons of Reboot? Yeah, through every episode of Reboot, it really, it could just be Mike the TV saying 99, 99, 99, and I would, I'd watch that. <laughs> couple of notes on this i think this is the first tv that we've seen on mike tv but until now it's just been voices yeah i think it is this is the first time we see him using his screen for something other than his face and i had this question because everybody like can't seem to get away from him and he kind of pops in at the most inopportune times just like with these ads and stuff is he just like a walking pop-up ad i think the commentary there is yes he is just a walking ad for the most part, he's very much an ad box. He is the word from our sponsor. Because all he does is talk about commercials for most of this episode. Yeah, he's a half hour long infomercial for himself, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone's favorite appliance, Mike the TV. I kind of get the feeling since he mentions that like the remote ran away that someone kind of like pawned Mike off on him. Like He was already living in the apartment when Bob moved in. Yeah, that like they were just like, oh, yeah, you got a free TV. And, and Bob like unknowingly was just like, oh, sweet TV. And then he regretted it forever. Oh, gosh. Yeah. He, he, so Bob threatens to dismantle Mike. Which that's murder, right? Dismantling Mike. He's a he's a living. That's a murder that, that Bob wants to commit. <laughs> In front of in front of Tiny Enzo and Dot, he just wants to commit murder on Mike. That's what I got from that. I, I think you are correct. But uh, before Bob can uh, commit his act, a uh, game comes down and um, Mike inserts a little meta commentary suggesting that he's everyone's favorite character. He is not. Which, again, the scene where like the game is coming down and, and Mike is monologuing over the purple squigglies mm -hmm. like was just like, I know this scene. This whole episode was full of that for me. Like I'm obviously getting to the point where I started like really watching the series. I think my brain shut out the first half of the first season. <laughs> so we are now in a game and we barely get started before a group of four users trot past them with uh, really interesting walk cycles. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a typical D&D &D party. It looks like you got a knight, an ogre, like a monk cleric, and a wizard. Yeah, some kind of like Fu Manchu wizard. So he's got like the long mustache beard combo. Definitely a half-orc thief. And the classic cleric with the bald spot and the mace. <laughs> that cleric's walk cycle makes him look like he's bent over. He has a herniated disc and he is bent over at the back the wrong direction. It's really <laughs> ridiculous looking. It was really weird. I didn't focus on their walks for some reason. That's usually something I would pick out, too. I watched that <laughs> intro like three times. It was really just the cleric. The wizard was floating, so he wasn't doing much. And I feel like the barbarian warrior person and the uh, half-orc were definitely doing okay. But that cleric, man. So the gang reboots, and uh, Bob is immediately disappointed that he's not the warrior. Uh, he's a thief instead. Dot's a wizard, Enzo's an elf. But who's the warrior? Why, Mike. You know, I, I did have to notice here that when they all do the reboot, they kind of hesitate. Like, the way Dot does, she's like, reboot. And, like, they all pronounce it weird with these, like, pauses. Reboot. Oh, I don't know if I picked up on that. Reboot. It was, like, their first line read, and they weren't sure. Like, what's that word? Re-what? <laughs> 
they actually recorded it out of order. They recorded that first and then went back and recorded the rest of the season. Reboot? <laughs> so right when Bob realizes he's the thief and is missing a tooth, he starts to have a little bit of a lisp <laughs> as he like, he loses it completely afterwards. It's only for like that first moment. But I thought it was funny that they threw in this kind of like whistle as he did the thuzz. So I like that Mike here, they call him the warrior. And granted, this is early D&D, 1994. It was still owned by TSR. Mm -hmm. So the modern day classes weren't there yet. But like, he's clearly a barbarian. Oh, yeah. Conan, specifically. Yeah, he's the Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan impression. He's got the horned helm, fuzzy boots. Well, Conan the warrior. Barbarian. Conan the barbarian. (laughs) Uh, And Bob tries to take his sword from him. Well, first, Mike tries to lift it, and it apparently is too heavy for him. So he falls down. But that's a cool effect. When any character tries to touch another character's items, their hands just like pass right through it, and it's kind of like a weird wiggle effect I kind of liked. Bob does not have proficiency in broadswords. So we know that Gavin was a DM. I'm assuming a lot of the writers were in a D&D. Like, Bob here is a very specific person. <laughs> like, you think that was one of, like, their party characters? Like, their friend Bob? Yeah, he's their longtime player who has no use for the noob. <laughs> He's the warrior? I'm always the warrior. Why do I have to be the thief this time? He tries to take the other guy's loot, and the DM has to slap his hand and tell me he doesn't have proficiency. Yeah, it's like a specific call out. It's like, take that, Gary. Exactly. I think a lot of D&D players have met this guy, and they are just laying it on Bob. (laughs) But yeah, so they try to leave Mike behind, and uh, Dot feels bad for him, convinces them to bring him along, and he does this weird cardboard cutout that, like, he pops behind. Yeah. It's funny. It's like a superpower. He can make cardboard cutouts of himself. Once. He can do it once. And he'll never do it again. I was wondering if maybe he was the one that made the megabyte cutout in the TIFF. <laughs> Bob was totally against this whole thing of Mike coming with him. He was all ixnay on the S part. Negatory, which negatory had me laughing because it's so 90s. Then Dot makes some puppy eyes and says, please. Yeah, she like mouths it. Bob totally caves. <laughs> I totally caves. Like, all right, well, if Dot wants him to. Enzo's just like, whoosh. I like how Enzo is really, really arrogant when they're having this little uh, discourse here. Enzo tells Mike the TV, trust us, it's your only hope. As though Enzo has any experience at all in this and hasn't just been like drugged by his sister everywhere he's gone and usually need to be rescued sometime before the end of the game. He's, he's suddenly an expert. He's still riding that high from Belly of the Beast where he kind of saved the day on his own without the help. He has yet to get over that. I'll be the hero now. Well, their first interaction with this world is approaching this castle, and they're presented with a riddle to enter. This is one in all, all in one. That's the key. Which, you know, is super obvious. To you, maybe, because you've seen this episode. Oh, come on. (laughs) All is one, one is all. Listen, I was pretty frustrated even when I watched this episode for the first time. (laughs) I remember shouting at the TV, Mike's got to push the door, guys. um, I like Dot's disgusted face when she's, like, looking at the place. She, like, kind of pulls this, like, weird, like, ugh. Ugh, gives me the jaggies. This place gives me the jaggies. But yeah, they can't push past the door until Mike barrels into it, which uh, makes them head down a big old water slide. And makes Bob immediately bitchy about the whole situation. <laughs> As is his want. Like, dude, the door was open. That's what you wanted. Yeah, but he's not the one to do it. Like I'm saying, he, I'm pretty sure he is, like, a specific person <laughs> in this situation that they have played with. This just, like, will not shut up about everything. But the door is opened. They're now sliding down the hopeless river of internal imprisonment. 
and headed towards the vicious pit of total oblivion. Yeah, Dot finds a map inside her hat, which she like kind of like looks to gauge their surroundings. The map was super fun. It was really the only real video game nod I felt throughout the whole episode. It's got that like little you are here blips. Yeah, exactly. And it's moving. As, yeah, as, it's moving as they're moving. As Dot says, interesting, and doesn't look where, you know, what's coming next. And they plummet over the edge. Right, they tip over a waterfall, but uh, Bob manages to grab hold of a cliff with everyone hanging onto his ankles. Well, he's a thief. He rolled an at 20 on Dex, and there you go. Well, apparently, they did too on grabbing his ankles. <laughs> and they have to climb up on him just to get to the top. And that ends level one. Now we got Mo Dungeons, Mo Problems. On to level two, where they sneak silently into a room with two guard statues on either side of the door. That is until Mike slams the door behind them. Right, Mike's just annoying everybody slamming doors, and they got a whole room full of doors to choose from. But before they can choose one, those two invisible giants with visible armor begin to attack. D&D 101. You walk into a room and there's two statues to either side of you. You do a perception check on those statues. Yeah, Bob seems to imply in the beginning that he's familiar with this game, and yet everything comes as a surprise to him. Well, that's what I was also joking in my notes, that he's mad that Mike failed his stealth roll there, but he should know, if he's always the warrior, that Mike is going to have disadvantage on stealth rolls. Come on, Bob. Bob reaches for his knife, which is only a butter knife, and uh, Dot casts a spell, which ends up shrinking the giants, but also doubling their number. I am assuming that the butter knife is a BSMP issue. There's a lot of that coming up in yeah, here too with the arrows on on enzo we see later yeah but yeah I'm, I'm fairly certain that's why he has to specify that he has a butter knife which i think is really funny so he's allowed a butter knife and mike is allowed a sword but a regular knife is but mike leaves the sword at the door and never uses it ever because swords are dangerous oh that's right i didn't even think about that so a few more rounds of shrinking and doubling and now they're just a small swarm that bob can easily squash underfoot which is yet another moment that I was just like, right, this is where this happens. Sorry, I'm really enjoying the nostalgia. I'm glad you are. So Dot manages to zip Mike's mouth shut here, but it's like super temporary. It lasts for like two seconds. I really like the, the look on Bob's face. Uh, right before he kills some things, Bob gets this really murderous look <laughs> on his face. Like he's really getting into the role of guy who doesn't mind stomping on people a tenth of his size. Yeah, he's definitely taking a lot of glee in this moment. Also, I just like to point out that Bob is yelling at Mike louder than anything that Mike is doing. Often. Which is his own problem. That was half of this scene was just like loud noise and then Bob yelling at Mike. Also, how many times do you think Kathleen Barr had to record Abramo Whatchamacallit? Dabra call it. I, I want to believe that I, that line is ad-libbed so badly because it seems so weird that you would add in what you call it. It doesn't flow at all. It, you had to practice it unless it just came out naturally. Yeah, it really doesn't. And then it was kind of funny the first time she says it. <laughs> she has to say it three times. Yeah, like, oh, I'm, you know, the first time I'm doing a wizard spell in this game, like... You know, haha. And then, like, she keeps saying it. And I'm just like, all right, just use the actual word. Enzo picks a door and Dot advises caution. But Bob throws caution to the wind and just throws the door open. And all of them scream at what's inside. But we never do get to see what was inside because now we jump to level 13. Again, this is a moment where Dot's like, well, let's think about this for a second. And Bob is like, screw that. I'm opening this one. Bob has no patience whatsoever. He does not. He'll learn it later. He'll get better. 
So level 13, we're on a spiral staircase where we're being attacked by a giant spider. Bob has to jump on the spider to cut its silk with a butter knife. Then Bob says, that was easy enough. As though he had the whole situation under control and wasn't just as terrified when the giant spider came down from above. And had his pinchers literally around his his leg. Yeah, I thought his boot was going to come off. And Dot does this weird, like, open mouth gape here, like, and it's just so weirdly animated. It was super awkward. Like, I get what they're going for, but it just looked weird. But here's where we go into overdrive now. We get, like, a rapid-fire sequence of events as we go through the levels. First, we get level 23, where they are lost in an endless maze with no way out. And then Dot finds a way out. There's a group of sentient carrots being chopped up by Bob. That's on level 31. (laughs) That's when Mike gets to do uh, slices, dices, cuts julienne fries one more time, in case you forgot it from earlier in the episode. (laughs) Uh, Which I really like. I'm glad they did it twice. Oh, you know, he's into reruns. Was this before or after Aladdin came out in the Theaters. Aladdin was in 1992. Oh. In November. And this would have come out in 94, so we're a little bit after that, yeah. I do enjoy that each one of the carrots was cut up differently. Yeah. <laughs> so it really does slice, dice, and julienne. Yeah, one's in coins and one's in strips. Then we see the gang, they're stranded and arguing on top of a tall, bottomless island. Dot is trying to explain that if we just listen for a minute, to the riddle we might be able to figure stuff out better guys let's parse this and bob is again has none of that Mm -mm. and enzo tells him to grow up when enzo's telling you to grow up there's a problem then we see an inky black monster that dot freezes dot is obviously using ray of frost on her puddle monster and of course that gives bob a a, an opening to say stay frosty and then immediately for no reason fall on his ass nothing's going on there he falls (laughs) well he slipped on the ice i guess Enzo knocks the head off of a knight using a clown-tipped arrow. It's the other BS&P reference there. It's totally safe clown arrow. Then we get to level 58, where they're being chased by something that's definitely not a beholder, because that would be copyright infringement. <laughs> My notes here are say, say that this is a just a weird beholder, because this is the first time I ever remember seeing a beholder, really. And when I first saw a D&D beholder, I was like, that's that thing from Reaper. <laughs> I remember it. It's an eye with tentacles. It's the uh, Great Value brand beholder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's beholder with an A. They do make it a, like so it's the nerves, I guess, or eye stock, whatever you want to call right, it. Right, yeah. That, like shooting out behind him is the, you know, but yes, obviously a weird beholder thing. And then one of the weird, like, big-lipped alligator moments in this episode, they're riding a banana while being chased by a fire-breathing scullipede? Yes, level 65, our penultimate level. I don't know what the banana's about. (laughs) I don't know why the banana's flying. I don't know why they're riding it. That's probably another reference to another D&D moment that the writers must have had in private. Remember that time we all rode a banana? Let's ride it in. (laughs) I just assume in my head that they were escaping some monster and Dot wanted to say something really cool like let's make like a banana and split and then literally created a banana for them to ride down the hallway on. Let's peel out of here. <laughs> let's peel out of here. They jump off the banana and uh, most of them get past this wall that comes down but Bob's separated from them. So yeah he yells out to them that there's traps ahead and then immediately gets caught by the first one. And then the rest of them dodge a whole bunch of arrows, axes and pits only to see Bob casually waiting for them on the other side. The penitent man shall pass. Just like Oh, hey, how's it going? That goddamn pose that he's in. <laughs> Just chilling. And then Bob traps them, right? Like, Bob is the bad guy here. <laughs> There's the rest of a hallway, and they all stop dead in the middle of this hallway so they can have a chat with Bob. And then there's a trap door, and, and they all fall to the next level. It's got like a weight limit on it and they exceeded it. In my head it was reading as, all right, Bob's a thief. He managed to use detect traps to see that there were traps. 
but then actually failed his first roll, somehow got a nat 20 to pass all the rest, and thought he would show off despite having failed the last check to detect traps at the end. I really wish at a certain point they should have like actually rolled dice to see, you know, how they did. Oh, that would have been so good. Even if it was like a throwaway thing, like they run past a thing that knocks some dice over, you know? Yes. There's a great D&D movie called Gamers of Darkness Rising, and whenever they're in the game and are about to do something that would require a dice roll, you just hear it. Oh, that'd be great if you saw, like, just, like, the dice result in, like, the top corner of the screen, like, in a little cutaway. But the uh, trap door leads them right to the final level, and Mike sings a happy song as they make their way to the door. I like the oompa music that Mike does. Which this song is from something, and I can't remember what it is. It definitely is like a familiar oompa. I can imagine just like four guys with tubas playing this, and I know that I've heard it probably a million times, but I don't know where it comes from. As they, as they make their way to the door, a shadow monster appears, tosses Dot and Enzo towards a pit, when uh, Bob goes to rescue Dot and Mike gets the bright idea to turn the lights out. Get what I See what I did there? Bright idea. Ah, yeah, bright, yeah. Which is, by the way, a trick that he picked up from watching the Bad Monster Movie Network, which I wish existed. Isn't that just the sci-fi channel? (laughs) Well, anyway, this idea works, and as they approach the door, we get a repeat of the riddle as the floor begins collapsing. And they finally figure out what it means. Well, Dot does. Dot figures it out. Bob is still whining that he's tired of the bullhead that keeps giving them clues. (laughs) He's like, this fucking asshole. (laughs) He is. He's like, I'm getting sick of this guy. And I'm like, well, you should listen to him because he knows the answer. That's how the game works. I mean, he's no bull. Nah. So yeah, they're in the final room with the chalice at the center. And the walls are lined with mirrors, which, again every D&D session ever. <laughs> Gotta have a mirror. Of course there's doppelgangers in the mirror that are going to try and kill you. I got a little creeped out because before they can approach the chalice, they're met with these creepy undead versions of the four of them. Dude, they were so creepy. It was great. I like they, they all had pointy teeth and I forgot just how frightening those cats look until I rewatched this episode and went, wow, they did a really good job making those people look pretty creepy. Yeah, that genuinely gave me a frighten. Yeah, the total white eyes. They did a really good job on that. You know, Bob tackles his doppel and Dot traps hers into a bottle. But it's no use. She escapes and turns Dot into a Picasso painting. These were interesting choices. But it's okay because Mike the TV is there to save the day. With a soap opera? Yeah, with the love hospital. I didn't understand this at all. Like, he he throws on a soap opera, which makes Dot stop or run away in terror. He wouldn't run away in terror from reruns of the love hospital? Because <laughs> I would. That's, that's evil doppelganger's one weakness is uh, daytime soaps. You should know that. It's a D&D thing, Ben. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> I'm sorry, where, yeah, where in yeah. the monster manual? <laughs> I see no, this. I'm pretty sure that the, that the rules as written say that if you were able to display a soap opera to a doppelganger, they, they are immediately frightened. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tweet at Chris Perkins, one of the game designers for Dungeons and Dragons, and I'm sure that he will back me up on this. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, we'll get that, we'll get that published in an errata sometime. We definitely need to see that. <laughs> So yeah, uh, the love hospital saves Dot. Dot, in turn, turns uh, evil Mike into a beach ball and kicks him through back through the mirror. But uh, meanwhile, poor Enzo has evil Enzo shooting a boxing glove arrow at the apple on his head. 
He's about to be William told. Exactly. But Dot shows up and kicks him through the mirror off screen, of course, because we can't show violence against children. And you'll notice that when they go through those mirrors, the mirrors don't shatter. They just sort of like go into the other side right? because you can't kick someone through a glass window and have the window burst because that's violent. But if you just send them to another plane, that's okay. That's fine. Send them to the mirror universe. Yeah. (laughs) So Mike scares Bob's doppelganger with the commercial channel just in time for the users to arrive. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned to the commercial channel. All commercials all day long. Yeah, a bunch of useless, what he says? He says it's, it's useless information to, I think he actually says to rot your skeevy minds. An eternity of useless products to rot your skeevy little mind forever. Which is the best part because he's yeah, looking yeah. directly into camera. When he says that, so <laughs> it's like he's talking to young, like twelve-year-old Luke and saying, uh, "Commercials are gonna make you brain dead." This is all garbage. This is where Luke's first hatred for capitalism arises. Yeah, Mike the TV taught me that commercialism is the way that we all die, and uh, we should, <laughs> you know, reclaim our television sets for good. But yeah, they go ahead and try to raise the glass that is surrounding the chalice while Bob holds off the users, but they realize all four of them have to open it at once. Because Bob has played 66 levels of this game and just figured out. Actually, he doesn't figure it out until Dot is like, hey, get over here. Don't you remember the theme of this 66 level game that we've been playing? And then Bob immediately comes over and knocks the case off of what appears to be the Stanley Cup. Yeah, we are kind of doing a full circle here where when we first opened, uh, it was Mike who threw himself at the door, ruining everything. And this time it is Bob throwing himself at the problem and ruining everything. Because the the cup goes flying as the user tries to grab it. Bob gives him an elbow in the face while he does that. (laughs) But Mike thankfully grabs the Stanley Cup and... And and saves the whole sector. Saves the whole sector Mm -hmm. as it turns into a plunge. (laughs) Yeah, they reappear. Is that Bob's bathroom? Because that's a weird layout. Yeah, it's totally Bob's bathroom. I'm not sure what the physics of reappearing in a game are. Like, are you physically moving around in the sector this whole time? This really confused me. I was trying to figure out because, I mean, it was obviously a plunger, but I'm like, there's like pipes and stuff. Is that like his basement or his bathroom? What is that? Maybe it is a basement. That makes sense. They were kind of like going down. Either way, it's time to go to the diner to apologize. Which we get these really weird shots that are like from Mike's POV. That weirded me out too. It was very disorienting. And I kind of dug it like in the sense that like we've never really seen that. Except from uh, Enzo's POV we've had like when he runs and tackles Bob. But yeah, like having it swoop back and forth from Mike's POV was really kind of nauseating. Yeah, this kind of like shaky cam. It was a little disorienting. And then everything was like a little fish lensed. Like everyone's face is just like a little too close. Yeah, it, it, was, it was an odd choice. <laughs> but they all apologize. They're all nice to Mike. He starts being annoying again right away. Immediately. Before they can convince him to shut himself down so they can get a moment's peace and quiet. Enzo breaks the fourth wall for a moment. He's like, don't you want to come back next season? I think this is also a thinly veiled threat from Enzo on Mike's life. I just want to point out that that's the second time someone's tried to off Mike in this one episode, <laughs> which is really unfortunate. Hey, you said off Mike. <laughs> and then they ask Mike for a commercial break. And Mike lovingly agrees this time. And it goes to the technical issues screen, giving them much-needed quiet time. It's like another Bob Ross thing on there, too. He's like got a tic-tac-toe board. But the tic-tac-toe, instead of X's and, and O's, it's ones and zeros, which I just realized today, as a matter of fact, when I rewatched it. I was like, oh, it's ones and zeros. I get it. It's binary. <laughs> 
who knows what you'll discover in the next 10 years when you revisit it. You know, we'll see. I'm going to do a podcast 10 years from now after this podcast is long gone and we're going to do it all <laughs> over again. Is it going to be a podcast about this podcast? Because that would be great. Yeah, it's actually going to be a podcast where I re-listen to this podcast <laughs> and then comment on this podcast. It's very meta. You're going to love it. Nice. <laughs> and that's our episode. Reboot! So what did you all think of this one? Let's start with our guest. This is one of the first episodes of Reboot that I remember watching as a kid, and it really is one of my favorites from the first season especially. I like that it was no nonsense, you know, right from the beginning, boom, we're in the game. Cut to the meat and potatoes. My favorite part of the show is the game usually, especially that first season. And so I dug it. I really enjoyed it. And I really have always liked Mike the TV. He's one of my favorite characters on the show, and you'll, you'll see him more later. Really? Yes. Uh, he's... You know, Mike the TV's kind of a muse almost, you know? He's like a... Well, he's certainly not amusing. <laughs> no, no, he's not. He's not funny at all, but but uh, I think the fact that he breaks the fourth wall a lot... Yeah, he's like the chorus. The, the chorus, chorus, yeah, yeah. Almost. Yeah, he's, he's, he's me, right? I'm not a hero. I'm not, I'm not a guardian. Uh, but I could definitely show up at someone else's party and make a bunch of jokes until they ask me to leave. I can do that for sure. Uh, <laughs> So I really, I really like Mike, and especially there's more scenes with Mike as you continue to watch that I don't ever think that Mike becomes a character, but he gets funnier, at least. If we're going to have more Mike, then he better get funnier. I don't ever remember feeling annoyed by him throughout the series, and since this is like one of the first few episodes that I really remember of the series, I imagine he's getting better throughout it. Yeah, for sure. So for me, I really enjoyed the nostalgia of it. Like, there's so many moments that I've remembered vividly. Like, I started saying 99, 99, 99 as soon as Mike started doing it. Uh, we have Bob Bob squishing the tiny soldiers and the doppelganger propping out of the mirror. I was all, like, on top. My brain was on top of it. It knew what was going to happen, and that was really fun. Uh, and then all the D&D references obviously had me over the moon because giant nerd. The part that I think bugged me the most was how straightforward it was. Like, obviously, this is a show for kids. But this whole episode felt very for kids. Like, the moral of the story that we're learning today, children, are... So, you see, the secret to the whole game was to act as a team. We should have been looking out for one another the way you were. We're going to learn about how cooperation, teamwork, and all that stuff. So, like, the overarching story didn't do a lot for me. But, like, the individual moments I really enjoyed. Like, the jokes that they did and the little levels that they had, I really had fun with. So, that a lot of that stuff landed for me. So I really enjoyed it. Okay. Now to Ben. Well, come with me on this journey. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because for the first time, I immediately had to go and and jot down, like, just, I just had to rant. So, like, if you you saw my initial notes, I just gave it a savaging. Um, I said, like, it felt like a whole bunch of rapid-fire, unrelated scenes with no context, full of non-sequiturs and gags that went nowhere. Like Mike going, hey, there's no way out, and Dot saying, well, let's go that way. And that was a whole scene, just by itself. And then I said something along the lines of it feeling like an out-of-context clip show to a longer adventure. Mike was constantly spouting nonsense and being generally annoying, which I get is his character trait, but knowing that didn't make it any more tolerable. Well, tell us how you really feel, Ben. <laughs> And then the ending had this like half-hearted wrap-up with Dot explaining the moral as if we hadn't heard that before. Oh yeah, we gotta work together. But, 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 on the second viewing, 
I actually appreciated it quite a bit more. The <laughs> quick gag scenes didn't seem quite as out of place. It felt more cohesive. And I don't know why like it felt so disjointed the first time around, but it definitely improved on the rewatch. Mike was still annoying, and the ending still seemed lazy, but I could look past that this time. To its credit, the pacing was very quick. Even though not all of the jokes landed for me, it never lingered on them for very long. And I did have some genuine laughs. I was genuinely creeped out by the reveal of Undead Bob. Mm-hmm. Overall, it wasn't a bad episode. It just took me more than one viewing to appreciate that. (laughs) Still, though, it's no Enzo the Smart. (laughs) I love that that's your watermark now for best episode. (laughs) You know, we haven't really talked about the animation since the first episode. And, like, we still do have some stiff movements, like when Bob jumps up from behind the couch kind of awkwardly. But we get some really nice subtle facial animation, like when Dot makes that disgusted face early on. So we're kind of making some progress. Yeah, and you can tell in this episode that they're exploring a lot of things. Um, Right. Between the weird uh, Mike the TV POV that they had at the end, which doesn't work, I don't think, but was an interesting Mm -mm. exploration. Right. I liked it as a concept. I did not like the execution. (laughs) Yeah, and there's a couple of moments, like the evil face that Bob makes before he smushes everyone. And Enzo has a similar moment where he's kind of underlit, and you see him kind of like from below a little bit. Yeah, that shot. I remember that too. Like you can tell they're playing with the camera. It did seem like they played a lot with lighting in this episode because there were a lot of those dungeon scenes where there was like a dark corridor, and it's all really, really well lit. Some nice chiaroscuro there. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's fun to see them explore, and I, I think we're going to get more of that as they get used to it and and, and really play with it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to sound like I was so down on it. Like, I'm, I really am <laughs> looking forward to the show progressing and evolving. I just, uh, for whatever reason, it didn't connect with me that first watch. Like, I was like, what am I watching? No, I get it. This was your Enzo the Smart, but for me. <laughs> <laughs> Pixelacious! Every week, Jessica goes and digs up some trivia in a segment we call Bits and Bites. All right, so first, I'm going to go through just general Mike the TV references. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Beyond the whole episode, because he's just full of them. So before we start, though, there's a lot of references that he makes that are so ingrained in popular culture that it's hard to tell if he's referencing something or if he's referencing the reference of something. Oh, yeah. Uh, For instance, we talked about Aladdin earlier. The Julian Fries thing is a joke that's made in Aladdin. So he could be referencing the Julian Fries from Aladdin, or he could be referencing the original infomercial that Robin Williams was referencing. Right, because that itself was a reference, yeah. So there's some layers here. So it's possible that some of the stuff that I mentioned might not be the original or the penultimate one, but, you know, keep that in mind. We'll hear about it if it's not the case. (laughs) I'm sure we will. (laughs) So we start off with infomercials, 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 infomercials. You pretty much can't go anywhere without Mike doing an infomercial for something. But one of the first one is for Bucket of Nothing. Now, I don't know if this is a direct reference, but all I could think of for the Bucket of Nothing commercial was Log. Yes, Log. All kids love Log. Oh, yeah. So Red and Stimpy first aired in 1991. So it's possible this is kind of a log reference where it's this infomercial commercial for nothing. Like it's a bucket of nothing. That's what I got out of it. It's also kind of like a on UHF, the Weird Al movie. Let's see what's in the box. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. 
So he makes that Julian Fry reference right at the beginning, and then he makes it a second time later in the episode, just in case you didn't think it was funny enough the first time. <laughs> and then he immediately makes a Conan the Barbarian slash Arnold Schwarzenegger reference. I'm sorry, Conan the Warrior. Mike, the mighty warrior. That was a great Arnold. <laughs> he does like a little Austrian accent there, followed immediately by a John Wayne impression where he calls Bob Pilgrim. Later on, he'll say, get away from me, boy, you bother me. Get away from me, boy, you bother me. So... I know that from Foghorn Leghorn, but I believe Foghorn Leghorn was referencing W.C. Fields. I spent like 10 minutes trying to figure out where that quote originally came from because I knew that it didn't come from Foghorn Leghorn, but that's the only thing that I could think of. Yeah, like I said, it's like all the stuff he says is so part of the cultural osmosis. He could be referencing nothing. He could just be referencing other people talking about it. So now he does this voice. I don't, you guys can maybe help me out with this one. No matter where they ran, no matter where they turned. I couldn't place it. And I'm like, this is a henchman from something or like a mad scientist and like nothing. Who was in Peter Lorre? I'm thinking Peter Lorre. Perfect. Maybe. Damn. Even if you could go like, you can look up Peter Lorre Looney Tunes or something. It's like they caricatured him. I just Googled the guy whose eyes were a little bit too far apart that played a bad guy a lot. And I, <laughs> <Yep>. boom. <laughs> And then shortly after that comes, surely you can't be serious, which could be referencing airplane or it could be referencing what airplane is referencing. <laughs> and then we get, uh, he starts doing a lawyer commercial for Cefeli, Shoemaker and Edwards. Now, okay. this is our second reference to Cefeli, uh, but we first saw it back in the racing episode, Racing the Clock. We, it was Cefeli tires. The reboot wiki says that this is a reference to a Benny Cefeli, who worked for Silicon Graphics International, who created computer hardwares and softwares and possibly sold this computer hardware and software to Mainframe, the company, not the fictional city. I'm not sure if that's accurate. I'm not sure if Shoemaker and Edwards are also name drops, but it feels intentional at this point uh, that we've now had two Cefeli references. I can't imagine this isn't intentionally somebody that they know. So <laughs> Gavin, fill us in. Who the hell is Cefeli? Uh, then we get the Love Hospital reference, which is obviously a general hospital slash every soap ever reference. The Love Boat. And then, then random stuff like that everyone knows. Don't touch that dial. And the crowd goes wild. I'd like to thank the Academy. He does the best Jimmy Stewart impression you've ever heard. Uh, I, I'd like to uh, thank the Academy, uh, my, uh, my agent. And then finally, we get Mike's last screen before we cut out, which has the tic-tac-toe board. This is a reference to the BBC test card F, which features a little girl playing tic-tac-toe with the creepiest fucking clown doll what? you will oh, ever wow. see. Uh -oh. You should Google this, Ben. It is terrifying. <laughs> All right. So that's all the mic ones, at least, that I'm going to bring up. Um, okay. Beyond that, we get Dot saying that the gargoyle gives her the jaggies, which is a reference to the pixelated look you can get when things are rasterized. Like in last episode. The wiki thinks that the candle snuffing out scene... Uh, was a reference to a Forgotten Realms book, the Sh Crystal Shard. It's one of the Icewind Dale trilogy featuring Drist, the hmm. Dark Elf. However, this seems like a bit of a stretch for me. But this was a D&D episode written by D&D nerds, so yeah. it's possible. We also get Doppelganger Enzo with a boxing glove on his arrow, which I believe should be a reference to Green Arrow. If it's not, it's quite the quinky dink. And then he's shooting the apple off of Enzo's head, which is a reference to William mm -hmm. Tell. And then finally, the Stanley Cup. Which, this is a Canadian show, so if that's not the Stanley Cup, I'd be very surprised. Right. That is 100% the Stanley Cup. And that's our Bits and Bites for today. Sorry, there's a lot of them this time. Yeah, that's all right. So, Jessica, Luke, let's talk about the game. 
All right. Cracks knuckles. So we've previously talked about D&D video games. I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to talk about D&D the game. Uh, the analog version. Actual D&D. Created by Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson back in 1974. We're now currently on the fifth edition, which I think if we're actually numbering them, it's closer to like the seventh. But as far as anyone else is concerned, it's the fifth edition. When we actually started this episode, I started with the opening to Escape from Zanzer's Dungeon Part 1, which is an adventure from the classic Dungeons and Dragons box set, which I own, which was published in 1994 by TSR, which is when Reboot came out. A little synergy there. It's now owned by Wizards of the Coast, no longer TSR, uh, and is way more popular now than it has ever been. I mean, there's actual billboards in Hollywood advertising Critical Role, which if you don't know what that is, it's a live play D&D Twitch show. And D&D is awesome. <laughs> it has created so many other RPGs because of it. It has influenced so much of popular culture. And whether or not I would play it, the answer is I have for many, many years. <laughs> I'm a relative newcomer to D&D. I only started maybe like two years ago, and that was entirely due to having listened to the Adventure Zone podcast. My wife and I, Ashley, we both really enjoyed listening to it, and neither of us had ever dreamed of like, like hey, let's play Dungeons and Dragons. It just never occurred to us. But then like listening to Griffin tell the story and do all that stuff, we're like, let's maybe give it a try. And then we tried it and really liked it. So it was pretty fun i'm glad you i'm glad you liked D D, ben of course i've been playing D D for at least four years um but <laughs> probably closer to like 15 years maybe maybe even more than that um at least four no less than 15. yeah somewhere between four and 15 it gets kind of murky because when i watched this episode I, I went back to see dungeons and dragons video games especially ones from the 90s and as it turns out, there are just a ton of Dungeons & Dragons video games that I never even knew existed because I was too busy rolling old school dice and doing <laughs> real math in my head. But yeah, obviously I'm a huge fan of D&D and I really appreciated this episode's sticking with some of the, the better tropes, the more fun tropes. The very beginning when, when Bob can't use the warrior's weapon is it's the best part because obviously in a D&D game, you don't know how to use a warrior's weapon if you're not a warrior. So it felt, it felt very real and it felt like it, it was a good throwback. But if you look back at the D&D video games that existed around this time frame, you will see that uh, the reboot D&D game is almost prophetic. It's a lot, it looks a lot more like a, a game that would have been coming out in five or six years. Most of the games back at that point were all text-based or really low graphically, really not very graphically intensive at all. So it was sort of uh, foretelling the kind of D&D games you'd be able to play uh, when Baldur's Gate came out. And we kind of covered some of that with the Quick and the Fed when we had the Castles and Knights yep. game. Yeah. Which is why I wanted to bring up the analog version. I'm going to put up this old set that I have that includes some of my nation D&D character sheets with little tiny drawings of the character I was making, which is slightly better than stick figure. This is wrong. This is all wrong. So every week we try to pick our frostiest moments and we present the award called The Golden Pigtail, which references a scene from the very first episode. And Luke, what are your nominees? So my, well, my, my top nominee, I actually have two. Uh, there's a moment in uh, right before we cut to commercial break where the floor is falling out from our heroes. Bob can't figure out the clue. And uh, 
Mike the TV turns to the audience and he says, act now or be plunged into eternal bottomlessness, listness, listness, listness. <laughs> and it is my favorite scene. My other nominee is very similar. Mike tries to cut to commercial when the four of our heroes are dangling from a precarious ledge. Um, but Dot interrupts him and says, Mike, just climb up. And that's my, my second favorite, my second favorite moment. So which one gets your golden pigtail? So the, the winner for me has to be act now or be plunged into eternal bottomlessness, listness, listness, because the, the echo is just perfect. <laughs> Mike making his own echo effect. Yeah, because you know that's how he'd have to do it. <laughs> All right, so I've got three nominees. I've got Bob lounging in front of the gang as they, <laughs> as they barrel through the traps. Uh, I've got the really freaky looking doppelgangers, which were so cool. <laughs> And then I think my winner is a very subtle moment. We didn't even talk about it in the episode. So Dot is flung across the bottomless pit and is hanging on by a thread. And Bob jumps the pit, lands and grabs her hand just as she lets go. And she looks up at him and he does this little tiny wink. (laughs) And my little shipper heart just went, And that's be my frostiest moment. <laughs> I actually have quite a few nominees here. Um, I liked Mike's cardboard cutout that he had. I liked when they um, were riding the banana inexplicably. <laughs> um, Dot and Enzo, like when they are just about to end the game, and like he said something like, "We need to give you an apology," and like Dot and Enzo go, "Yeah," and like they have these like weird face and they say it together. It's just really strange. <laughs> but I think I'm gonna have another split vote again because I've got Dot's weird agape open mouth when Bob saves them from the spider, and Mike doing his little happy song dance, you know, as they reach the end of the <laughs> level. <laughs> the, the, oop, 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 oop. Both of those moments were kind of like my two favorites because, especially Mike's, it made me laugh every time. Just a reminder out there. If any of you know what this darn tuba song is, please let us know. It's mm-hmm. driving me crazy. So did we get any feedback this week? Yeah, we have Steph Naylor, who's at Cerulean452, who wants to let us know that they didn't really like this episode when they first saw it, but only because Megabyte wasn't in it. I was going to mention that, too. It's been a while since we've seen Megabyte or Hex. Uh, yeah, so like they are drifting away from that like formulaic evil virus tries to take over mainframe. They stop it as a game comes down in the last act kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, which is fun. We're starting to break free and, and see some, some new setups. Um, and then we had Nolan Hayes at It's My DeLorean. Hello again, Nolan. Uh, he wants to let us know that a kid version of him identified so hard with Bob whining about not getting to play the character that he wanted like some kid at recess. <laughs> uh, and he actually has a question for us so we can go around and answer. Here's the question. Of the four player classes available, which one would you play? Here's the thing. Since I'm automatically the DM all the time whenever <laughs> I want to play, I never actually get to be a character. And I've always had the idea that if I was going to be a character, I'd always want to be a bard. Oh, that's sad that you haven't gotten to play yet. You should totally find a game to be a bard in. Yeah, seriously. You know, I, I don't like heavy swords. I, I like a thief. I like to sneak around. I would be a much better thief than Bob the Guardian, but it's what I would be. Luke knows I've had some traumatic experiences with the thief that I've been playing. Uh <laughs> So I'm going to take a break from that and go back to one of my classics, which is definitely Warrior. All I wanted in my first game of D&D, the only thing I wanted was a double-bladed battle axe. So Warrior for me, for sure. I think it's time to make this voyage unprofitable. 
Luke, do you have a recommendation for us this week? I kind of have a recommendation this week. I spent the weekend doing a having D and D party with all my D and D friends, and then uh, during that, I listened to a podcast that Ben you mentioned earlier in this episode, which is uh, Adventure Zone. I'd never listened to it before, even though Jess had been telling me to do it for months, and I finally did. And I listened to the the whole run of this game uh, called Monster of the Week, which is the episode series entitled Amnesty. Okay, yeah. Anyway, I've now started reading. I've read all of the source material that I can for Monster of the Week, and I find it really, really great. So if you like playing RPGs, go find Monster of the Week. And if you like uh, listening to uh, people talk about RPGs, go find that podcast and listen to them talk about it instead. (laughs) Or if you don't have any friends, I guess. What about you, Ben? Well, uh, a mutual friend of ours named uh, Joseph Pascal has written a book that is available for pre-order now. It's called How to Get a Promotion When Your Boss is Trying to Kill You. That is a stellar title. And it's about a uh, clerk's adventures through vast government offices as he struggles to make a name for himself on a secret mission for the director. Whole lots of crazy absurd situations that happen. Um, Part riotous lampoon of the modern workplace and part existential drama of one's place in society. This is available for pre-order right now, correct? Yeah, it's going to be released on September 1st. Uh, you can get it at waldorfpublishing.com for sixteen ninety five. And Joe, by the way, is a really cool guy. So check it out. Yeah, he's uh, had short fiction published in all, all kinds of places. So uh, you can go and read more at his website, josephpatrickpascal.com. All right. And this week, I'm also going to go with the D&D theme uh, and recommend another podcast. Also, listen to On My Way to My <laughs> D&D Themed Weekend. It's called Bombarded. Emphasis on the bard there. It's an actual play D&D podcast where the players are all members of a band and play D&D as bards. Every episode, they roll chord dice and they create a new song just for that episode. Uh, and they throw in little mini covers as they cast bard spells. Um, it's really funny and the music is really cool. Uh, you can check them out at bombarded.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we want to thank Kevin McLeod for the use of our theme music, Spasmatica Polka. And you can always find us online at incominggamecast.com or incominggamecast on Facebook and incominggamepod on Twitter. You can find me at dudworks.com, dudworksart on Facebook and at dudworks on Twitter. You can find me at Sturbino Lady on Instagram, on Twitter, on Tumblr, on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. And we'd like to give an extra special thanks to uh, our good friend Luke here, who came on the podcast and talked some D&D with us. Uh, Luke, do you want people to follow you on social media, or you want to tell them to fuck off? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, both. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Magic Walrus, but that's magic spelled with a J. Uh, and I post a lot of political stuff, and if, if you don't like it, I'll tell you to fuck off. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. it it's been a, a true honor and pleasure to talk about my favorite TV show from the 90s, for sure. So next week, we'll be doing Season 1, Episode 10, The Great Brain Robbery. It's all inner space references. Plus, we get to meet a new sprite. We get to meet Mouse. Well, and you know, you know, inner space is actually a, a sort of a parody of Fantastic Voyage. So it's another like a double cut where it's a deep reference. Everything old is new again. Now, where were we? Right. So you're in a dark dungeon. I attack the darkness. Do you have any Mountain Dew? Stay frosty, folks. Game over. User wins.